0: It left everybody with a bit of excitement energy mixed emotions and that's what a rivalry should bring
1: but how does this sophomore year look
2: it never stops there's always action
1: this is the st louis city sc mls season preview with matt baker phil grooms ben Fredrickson, and ktrs sports director brandon Weesey.
3: brought to you by royal banks of missouri
1: on the home of soccer in st louis the big 550 ktrs all right, let's do it. It's uh, the 2024 St. Louis City SC Season Preview, MLS Season Preview. And a couple of fellas, they've already dug into this. You probably heard it last week on the Flyover Footy Podcast. Matt Baker, Phil Grooms with me here in studio as uh, we break it down. Now that we have a match. In the books that feels like it's a match that matters and it happened last night in front of a raucous crowd not quite a sellout down at city park but my goodness does it get uh, any more exhilarating we feel like uh, uh, just dozens of these type of moments last year well last night it's uh, jose Kajima who had just signed his professional contract hours beforehand Checks into the game in the final few minutes and delivers a tie-breaking, game-winning goal to send City on to a 2-1 win and hopefully with much momentum going into the MLS opener Saturday against Real Salt Lake. I mentioned Matt, Phil, with me here in studio live. Gentlemen, thank you for making the trek out here to Westport. Uh, got a lot to dig into tonight. How we doing? How we feeling? Dude, doing great.
2: Feeling fantastic! Excited to talk more city.
1: Yeah, it. Last night, guys, it. Another instance of these guys delivering, delivering in the big moment, and this time we get to see it happen in a uh, in a tournament setting, where this team admittedly didn't deliver as much a year ago in these spots, but they did last night.
2: You can make an argument that the first half was very reminiscent of those cup matches from last season. Yeah, yeah. And and I chalk that up more to the preseason rust than I do any any semblance of this is a 2023 St. Louis City cup match. What we saw in the second half is you see everybody getting settled down into the rhythm. And then City peppering the goal, using their style of play to wear down the Houston dynamo. That was to me a preview more than anything of what we can expect in these next few weeks.
0: Yeah, and I, I agree with you that it's the first game. You know, we had this was maybe the hardest lineup uh prediction that we've probably gonna we're probably gonna get all season unless something crazy happens. And it's because we saw such a peppering of different um Different lineups, different groups, you know, you always in preseason kind of mix the first team players with the second team players with the lineups. And so we weren't sure what we were going to see. But I think it was also maybe strange for the players, too, because they weren't putting in multiple games with a certain uh, midfield partner or a certain winger uh, striker combination. And so I think we saw that for sure. But um, one thing that encouraged me was. Just it it the early season press was on last night. It was ravenous. It was working like a dream against Houston, and so um, it was interesting to kind of compare that to the end of the season last year.
1: And this is not meant to insult our our diehard fans or our fans that are that are casual that have grown and become bigger fans. As last year went on. But there is a sense, here's the first game. It's not an MLS regular season game. Is it a preseason game? Well, it's not a preseason game, but it doesn't count to the regular season. Uh, I, I still think there are people that are getting accustomed to what uh, a tournament like this means. Does it matter? Yes, it matters. And I feel like at this point, wasn't a sellout last night. And we can dig into all those particulars and what that Uh, maybe what they can do moving forward in a a spot like this to start the season but i feel like right now guys this is a tournament that probably means more to the players into the team than maybe it does the fans overall plenty i mean obviously you guys you know what what it means and and it's really cool to be in the champions cup but i still think there's a bit of a learning curve not for the players not for the team this matters and i feel like that really hit home last night
2: when we were in the stands watching the game, my wife turns to me at one point and said, "It feels like a high stakes preseason match." Just based off the the less than sellout crowd, a little bit of a different vibe. And this was in the first half. And so that there there is a learning curve in St. Louis when it comes to a new cup tournament like this. You saw the comments online asking, you know, is this the is this the kickoff to the season? You know, why isn't this on Apple TV? All these nuances that go into it. And I think the reason that is is just the simple unfamiliarity. Everybody spent so much, so much time getting amped for the MLS season, the MLS team. And if you compare this to any other sport in St. Louis, it's a, one of its kind, you know, there we talk about this during the U S open cup time. Leagues cup was a whole different beast last year. This is the only scenario in St. Louis where a team can play regular season, qualify for an enhanced competition an intercontinental competition, and then play that the following season. And the players, can see this as not just the first match of the season, but an opportunity to have more eyes, more exposure, bring that international spotlight to St. Louis and to themselves. And so the fact that this is happening in our second season, it's a crash course because you don't have time as a fan, a new fan to MLS to really understand how all that works. And I think all those dynamics were in play last night.
0: Yeah, and it gives you a flavor of the world game because it's such a strange thing for an American to watch uh, a major league sport and say well the playoffs are at the end of the season that's the ultimate thing well in the world sport our our league mls is not the premier league in the world there are other you know countries with their own leagues that are considered better or worse than ours and so this takes it to the next level imagine the cardinals winning the world series and then having to play someone in another country with a team that's considered way better than yours wouldn't you just be loving the opportunity To get to play those players and so this is just another taste of that international flavor but also an opportunity to play on a higher level to test yourself to see how good you actually are against other teams
1: around the world we hear it all the time grow the game and not necessarily in soccer but i feel like for an for mls it's a chance to grow your brand and 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 have an ex, have exposure in a tournament like this I remember last week talking to Celio Pompeo about this and you could see his eyes light up knowing that he had a chance to play in front of an international audience international television audience it was on fox sports 2 here in in the states here in st louis but it gets distribution Far and wide, maybe unlike the MLS, which is more geared towards, you know, United States professional sports. I, I think it's it's a great opportunity for everyone involved, and I'll continue to say, at least here in the early going, unless something happens last week where they're knocked out. I'm more interested in seeing how they progress in this tournament. I talked to Matt about this, Phil. I, I'm more I, I'm more interested in seeing how far can they go here. And if it means a small sacrifice in MLS production early, I can live with that, especially the way they started last year, and we know how things ended. I- I'd like to see how far they can make this run in the Champions Cup.
0: I completely agree, and, and we heard Carnell say that about the Leagues Cup when we got to play Club of America. I mean, considered to be, at different years, the best club in North America. We got to play them last year, and that's an amazing opportunity. It didn't go our way, but what lessons did the team learn what lessons did the, you know they learn from that saying we need to lift our level clearly I didn't realize we would struggle this much against Club America how much did that help this season throughout our last season throughout the rest of the season and what lessons are they pulling into this season about you know rest and being prepared and knowing what to do against a club of that caliber uh, I'm excited to see if we progress in this in this tournament we get to play a team like Tigres which is you know an, another premier club in Mexico i would be so excited to see that and to see how it makes our club better
2: I think the players and the staff, too, are also playing with house money to an extent. Yeah. Because just like in the first season where you're building a brand new club in MLS within the roster rule restrictions that MLS requires, you can't build up the allotment of GAM and TAM. You can't go splash money because you're just in your inaugural season. You're building up your reserves to do all of the splashy things that teams typically do in their third, fourth, fifth year. In the same sense, by qualifying for the Champions Cup in our first possible season, we're still playing behind the eight ball when it comes to building that depth. So bringing in pieces like Nicholas Dewar, Thomas Totlin, and Chris Durkin, it complements all of our players that we had from last season because we brought back 19 players, all key contributors, minus you could say Joe Acheny and Stroud. And so that puts you in a position where you are more enhanced when it comes to your depth, but you're still not to the level of a Philadelphia union. You're not to the level of an FC Cincinnati even at this point. So I think there's some free flowing that the players know and the staff knows that it's, you know, what what do we have to lose in going for this because we've seen how an MLS season ebbed and flow. We know we can come back strong midway through the season, finish strong at the end, and still get where we need to be winning those playoff games.
1: Well, this is this is a first step for uh, for City in terms of this run in Champions Cup, but Tonight, I, I am interested in, in digging in, looking forward now. MLS kicks off on Saturday, and obviously using last night as a as a bit of a a framework here for us because we do have this is not exhibition, this is not a friendly scrimmage, this is a real game that we can now use and and hopefully help us project here in the uh, in the near and maybe long term. But I'm curious for both for both of you guys heading into last night, and maybe it's still effective now, but what was your biggest concern about this team, knowing what happened at the end of last year, knowing what they were able to build up in acquisitions during this offseason, and maybe just what we've seen and heard during this preseason, uh, what
2: was your biggest concern, maybe still is? My biggest concern is can we beat a team in a low block that – pressures us to possess the ball and it doesn't it's not necessarily a depth concern it is a style of play concern that we saw exposed more as the season wore on last year there's definitely an argument to be made that we took a lot of teams by surprise because of the the extent to which our high press counter attack system worked we overperformed our expected goals we 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 finished when a lot of other teams didn't finish our we had uh, over 60 goals and that was remarkable for a first-year team. We were so highly productive, but it it had a drop-off. After League's Cup, it was a noticeable. We couldn't get into the same rhythm that we were in. Teams started to adjust as they got more film on City. So whether it's seeing how we performed against Houston as a little bit of a preview, able to stay within ourselves, play our style of play, and defeat a Houston team that at times did drop back into a low block and, and showed what teams did at the end of last year, that was my biggest concern is, is can Carnell implement a true form that he alluded to this preseason of an ability to play with the ball versus against
0: i think there was a a press conference that carnell did at the beginning of the season i don't know which one it was but two things were kind of said in there that made me completely relieved to hear because matt and i hammer what he just said and what i just said and carnell touched on both of them and, and we were kind of reaching out saying i think this is what the team needs to do better I think this is what they're going to change and what they're going to work on. This is what we hope they'll work on. And one is that low block problem. And I think the other one is rest throughout the season. And Carnell addressed both of those in that press conference. And it, it felt good that we weren't pushing too hard in the wrong direction. We weren't wrong in the that we analyzing the, uh, that we saw throughout the season. But, yeah, we need to make sure we have legs throughout the entire season so that if we do get a playoff run, the energy is there. We can play our style of play without any any problems, no hiccups. And um, I think we even saw that in the in the lineup we saw last night in CONCACAF in uh, Champions Cup, that it wasn't every single player number one. Luven and Nilsson weren't quite 90 minutes fit, and instead of pushing them and starting them like I'm sure they wanted to do, uh, like the players I'm sure wanted, um, they were rested. And so I think both of
1: those are, are good signs. I thought... Sam Adeneron to me last night, it, and you're still I, – I think we're all curious, a uh, 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 Sam-Klaus combination on the field at the same time. What does that look like beyond just a, a small sample of, of one game last night? But I was pretty impressed. I mean, the natural athleticism of Sam Adeneron, and you know, my concern right out of the box was, okay, fitness level – uh, the first game of the year. I mean, their seventieth minute last night. Sam Adeneron, he, he could have run laps around some of those guys on Houston. The, the speed he was still showing, I, I was I was very impressed by, and I I think he's a guy that if you know will his name is going to be invoked all season long. And it's Nico Joachini, even though he's gone, it's still going to be well. What have they done with Nico and, and his goals? How did, how did he replace those goals? And I know we've talked a lot about Nuke V. Thorisson and, and hopefully the production he will be able to provide. But I think Sam Adeneron, we, I mean, he was given opportunities last year when Klaus was out, and I think he showed pretty well. What does he do, again, with that consistent opportunity, if he's on the pitch at the same time as Klaus, what does that look like for this team? I'm going to go
0: first because I want to throw to you as quickly as I can because I do think Klaus and Sam um, absolutely do complement each other very nicely. But I do – I think Matt has some concerns there. I think they've really settled into very distinct roles, and they do totally different things. You saw what you saw. You described Sam perfectly. But we also saw Sam kind of dropping in. I'm sorry, we saw Klaus dropping in uh, deep and and playing with the ball a little bit more. I think we struggled to see him get on the ball, actually, too, in the first half. Yeah. And um, I think that's great. Uh, But I think, Matt, you had some concerns. I don't know if you've changed your mind, though.
2: Yeah, the second half kind of answered some of my concerns. The first half definitely heightened them. And it's the fact that when Klaus and Sam are on the field together, we're seeing them settle into Sam as the line holding forward and Klaus as the Nico Joachini role of sorts where he's underneath. He's not quite the 10. He's not quite a playmaker, but he's definitely playing an underneath role. If you watch them on the field, if you're in the stadium or not notice how when they're, when they're trying to progress the ball, Klaus is absolutely underneath Sam. What that allows him to do is really make and find space. Mm -hmm. And so as Sam is trying to time his runs and break past the, the center backs of the back line, which he did successfully multiple times last night. That's one of the key things that Sam Adeniran brings is as he stays in the game longer, like you said, Brendan, he can still make those line-breaking runs. And those are so absolutely vital. Multiple times they led to chances last night. And I look for that as a, as a big success of Sam being on the field. But with Klaus, it's more how can Klaus find space and really start his runs that may leverage what Sam does in holding the lines? I view Joao Klaus as one of the best players to break through and receive a header uh, from one of the fullbacks. And he did that numerous times last year. And what I mean by that is really he's kind of he's, he's stealthy at the top of the box. And then he'll wait to see what the fullbacks do, wait to find space. And then he exposes that space. He takes advantage of it in the box. And so seeing them work side by side is more can we can we get Sam out wide to create space, pull some of the center backs aside that then Klaus can take advantage of. Because at times, especially in the first half, Klaus did go missing for for large periods of time on the attack. And that's my concern is when you have a talent like Klaus, he can't go missing. He has to be a focal point of the offense. So how do you make those two work in tandem when underneath you have two very adept playmakers in AZ Jackson and Indiana Vassalov?
1: You mentioned a few moments ago, Matt, I think St. Louis converting... Uh, what the, the most of their expected goals from a year ago. Is that correct? It feels like last night, and, and I don't think this is a bad thing, where they left a number of goals out there. I mean, it felt like that could have been a five- or six-goal performance,
2: right? Yeah, I actually was I was quite impressed by the fact that we pulled off a victory and a lot of the shots that we had on target or near target, especially in the second half, I think those would have been goals a lot of the time last year, which would have led to that over- overproduction compared to your XG. And so what we saw last uh, last night was more of, I would say, a reversion to the mean, uh, a regression to the mean, in the sense that this is the kind of production that City's going to need to sustain. They're not going to get all these balls to drop. There, was a, there were times uh, where AZ Jackson was forcing a high-press turnover. He got the ball to Klaus in perfect position, and Klaus whiffed on it. He shot it just wide left. And that's going to happen. You're not going to convert all of those chances, but if you can convert enough... And volume is going to be key for this team. If you can convert enough of them to where your goals are in the same ballpark as your expected goals, it's going to still be a very successful team because I still think they're going to they're going to put up a high number of shots and they're going to put a high number of shots on target
0: that said i i did forget to gloat about this today um but how much have we heard people talking about how st louis isn't going to get those freebies that they got last year right people are going to see st louis coming they know what they're about the defenders know not to make any silly mistakes it was under 20 minutes before a center back gave klaus a free shot inside the box yep. last night and so that's not going away now it may go away as the season progresses but this system for some reason gets those you know those out of the world. The stats don't make sense. Freebies from time to time, and and last year they capitalized
1: on them. We'll see if that happens this year. Well, if we were to pl- if we were to put last night's game film up side by side with one of their matches from early last year, and heck, I mean i I, I could argue put any game that you'd want from last year up side by side. How different do they look last night? And how much of that is on the the positive side of things? Where you look at that, and we've talked the we've talked a lot about that this preseason. How many things could they do differently? How could they look different? Did they look very different last night in, in your guys' eyes?
0: Yes. To me, um, the the bones are still there, right? And, but it's it's built on. We we saw Colonel Bradley Carnell mentioned that last preseason was great. You know, they accomplished a lot. He said, we are miles ahead of what happened last year because the foundation was there. And the trades were really smart trades for St. Louis. The transfers in, very smart transfers in. And we're seeing it being lifted. It feels like the IQ level has jumped because the physicality is still there. The athleticism is still there. The system still works. But it feels like there's, like, smarter movement. It feels like we're seeing even... It's too soon. It's preseason for us, too. We haven't seen enough uh, game film yet, but um, I think we're just seeing them be smarter. And some of that is what Carnell is talking about, is the ability they're working on to break down a low block. I I think we've upgraded and it's already visible to me. And I think Matt has a a lot more details probably to to share on that.
2: Yeah, I I was very pleasantly surprised by our, our overall ability to prevent Houston from getting shots. You know that we outshot Houston fifteen to six in the whole game. And what that what that tells you is that Houston's possession was not successful in converting the ball up the field, moving the ball up the field, progressing their passes. And it was a testament to I'll call two players out, and they're two of our new players, mm-hmm. Thomas Totlin and Chris Durkin. They played fantastic Great. matches last night. Totlin showed why he's he was brought on to be our starting right back. Perfect in 1v1 defending open space while attacking up the field. Noticeable improvement on the right side on both sides of the ball. Chris Durkin was fantastic at tracking back for dozens of yards at a time when he needed to make a tackle in open space. And that's important because the way that this team was set up last night, and they had been skewing this towards the end of the season last year, is this 4-2-2-2 formation that leverages your four-man back line. It has two central midfielders. Last night it was Ostrak and Durkin. And then AZ, Jackson, Indiana where were your wide attacking mids. There was oftentimes in the attacking third where you saw the creativity on full display. AZ Jackson, I noted, defended on the left, attacked on the right mm-hmm. often. And so he would be moving all over the place. And that's that's the thing I need they think they need to work on is the spacing in the attacking third and and being more clinical with their positioning and how they're putting each other in position to both receive and then play make off of each other. But on the defensive side, fantastic job. The only times I was concerned were on set pieces where our center backs seemed to have a little miscommunication, and there were two headers that went just over the over the goal right. that were pretty good opportunities beyond those i thought our defense played a fantastic job both in transition and when they were set up back on defense
1: matt baker phil grooms the host of the flyover footy podcast and you get to hear right here on the big 550 ktrs and of course you can hear the full editions of their podcast wherever you download your podcasts and you have a chance to listen to them here on the big 550 ktrs and it's great to have their expertise and knowledge we're just getting started here tonight it's our mls season preview so let's talk about the west when we come back we get a look at Real salt lake to start it off on saturday we'll talk about it next it is our mls 2024 season preview We continue as we preview the 2024 season in the MLS. St. Louis City SC beginning their second season. MLS season begins Saturday night. Real Salt Lake, the opponent, Matt Baker, Phil Grooms, the host of the Flyover Footy podcast, heard right here on the Big 550, KTRS in studio with me right now. And fellas, Salt Lake in here Saturday, and that is after they also have a midweek game going on, although their their game is actually part of the MLS schedule. They will be playing MLS game number two on Saturday, number one for City. But it just so happens Salt Lake opening up against a little team from down in Miami that happens to uh, sport maybe the best player in the world. Is he? Is Messi playing tonight?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's playing.
1: They got all four of their their centers in the in the
0: game, Suarez and uh gosh, I'm going to mess up everyone else.
2: Sergio Busquets, Trey Alba. Alba, yeah.
0: So it's a good lineup, um but RSL's improved too, so we'll see we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, it'll be very interesting on Saturday night and that game going on right now. I think it's a standalone the only game mm-hmm. as they uh, of, of course try and put uh, Messi and he's going to imagine they're going to have a lot of these standalone games spotlight games throughout the course of the year
2: yeah and and when they're not spotlight standalone they'll be focusing heavy coverage on them I Mm. mean for obvious reasons Apple TV one of the big selling points of MLS season pass is the worldwide distribution no blackouts anywhere Messi has bumped those numbers up to two million plus subscribers yeah Uh, it kind of gets annoying every once in a while when you hear nothing but Messi but greatest player in the world potentially of all time i get it and it doesn't bother me once i take a step back
1: right i mean there's if you're mls if you're apple and, and certainly if you're apple and you know flexing some of your muscles in in the uh, media rights deal that they agreed to last year you've got this guy you've got to put him on I, I, and i get it yeah i've i've definitely seen that pushback a little bit that why is it just going to be miami and all of these showcase opportunities as long as he's playing and he's and he's healthy and he's in the league and who knows how long that's going to last for mm-hmm. right you got to you got to put him out there front and center
0: yeah take advantage of it mls has got to do their thing um you know the the big apple tv deal was was a was a massive deal and uh you know messi was a big part of it you just got to capitalize on it i watched the countdown to mls i forgot what it's called but the the show the pregame show and it was like Three quarters talking about Miami. Most of that was Messi-Suarez talk, and then they t- they covered RSL for
1: about two minutes before they got <laughs> to the game, which is fine. Well, an opportunity to, again, scout out the city's opponent for Saturday and watch Messi tonight. That's going on right now. Matt, I talked to Phil about this before we uh, went on the air tonight, and you know, curious about this conference and, 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 and also you know, kind of coincide with The Champions Cup and maybe having opportunities to play teams that have not seen City play in person as of yet. Obviously, there's a lot you can glean from videotape. But now as you get into your second season, Matt, especially inside the Western Conference, you're going to be playing teams that now will have seen you multiple times within the last calendar year. Certainly Kansas City's going to be way up there, the, the familiarity between the, those two rivals. It's only going to make it all the more interesting, but how does City reclaim, or is there an edge to be gained now when they play opponents that uh, are going to start to, to know them quite well, especially out West?
2: I think the lack of turnover to the roster is one thing that I look to as a big advantage in addition to Maybe the the intangibles that the experience to MLS provides. Just last year, you had so many new players to the league in addition to new players in the system, a brand new coach trying to implement that system. There's so much consistency that has remained for the St. Louis side in addition to those pieces that we've added, the Doer, the Totlin, and the Durkin. But Bradley Carnell in his second season, I think, is the X factor. And what he's able to take in... How his players can learn and how they can implement his system and his style of play with a little a little different shade that can help maybe turn a match or or pivot a moment. Whereas last year he would they would you know every once in a while get caught flat footed or they weren't able to convert at key points in the game, or his substitutions especially. I think he learned a lot. When it comes to how he managed his substitutes and how he utilizes his full roster. So things we alluded to earlier about the depth that we have, it's managing that depth in the game. When to pull the trigger last night in Champions Cup. I know we mentioned Champions Cup a lot already, but that is an indicator to me of how Bradley Carnell is looking to manage his subs. He saw some things in the match, maybe with Indiana Vasilev and his potential injury, and he saw an immediate need to sub. And so you're not giving a player too much leeway. You see something that happens and you're going to pull the trigger. That's something I think Carnell is more adept to do that can be a game changer when it comes to these other teams in not letting the game flow get away from you. And his ability to go into maybe a Seattle or a Portland and be able to make those kinds of changes on a dime as opposed to letting things ride, that's going to be a different city that teams face this year.
0: And in the same vein, to speak to what you were you were talking about there, Brendan, and what we were saying before, that you know our team's going to adjust to St. Louis, I keep thinking expecting that to happen and we hear matt talk about um a little wrinkles in our plans like we have our system but there are little improvements that can be made st louis will never jump out of that system and Mm -hmm. it just seems to be a soccer thing to some extent maybe not in the playoffs but they stick to their plan there's a system and the better they get at that system the more they beat teams rather than how can we change our team on any given saturday to beat our opponent based on strategy it's just uh it seems to be not something soccer teams do and I don't know if that'll change someday, but right now they pick a style. They mostly stick to it. And we saw Houston who is just ravaged with energy, uh, with injuries, pardon me on, uh, last night in the, in the champions cup. And they didn't really change what they were doing that much. They still tried to possess the ball. Um, even though giving it up to us might've been the smarter move, the safer move, they still wanted to stay and play within themselves. And so that's just not something they do. However, We did see Kansas City and St. Louis both game plan against each other once we got to that second um, playoff game in the series of three. And so, um, you know, I'm interested to see how that plays out, whether playoffs or regular season or what.
1: Is it a fool's errand to try and project this league after what we saw last year and the fact that St. Louis went from expansion team to winning the West? Is it... More difficult to project than other sports, other soccer leagues, from what you guys can tell? Does, is there any familiarity from what we can glean from, again, especially out West, that gives us some sense of how this might play out in the West this year? Matt, are you giving be- uh, betting tips? Is that what we're about to get
0: into here? <laughs> we might. <laughs> no, I, it's, I don't think so, uh, but at the beginning of the season it is so hard because there's been so much turnover one of the cool stories i think for this season is we're seeing bad teams bring in better players all of a sudden decide to spend money but also how many two million four million up to eight to ten million dollar players have you been seeing signed in this offseason and people are saying this is a slow winter there are more eight million dollar players coming into this league than i think i've ever seen and so that's really exciting and that one player Can really change a team. Look at if we were without Klaus. We're talking a $3 million player. If we were without Klaus, that would really hurt us a lot. Imagine how much it would help us if we had a second person of Klaus's ability. And so I think that's the hard part. But, you know, based on not a lot of coach turnover per se, systems seem to stay the same. I think it's pretty easy to kind of guess to some extent, but but the players coming in make it hard at the beginning of the season for me.
2: One thing about MLS is you have to, I, I say the roster rules impact so many things, and this is one thing, is how you can project a team over two, three, four, five years, where the roster rule limitations on how much money you can spend in a given year because of the salary cap and the allocation money, the designated players, it impacts how you can build your roster long-term. And so you see teams that, in baseball we see all the time you're building for the future you're you're tanking you're retooling yeah well that does happen for mls sides but it can happen very quickly and so you saw colorado in this offseason. i think colorado is going to be one of the biggest teams that has a night and day type of a difference because of what they were able to do they've been stockpiling very clearly their allocation money and they've been managing their roster so that they can have this kind of intentional turnaround and if you're able to be smart in key moments, or maybe you stockpile allocation money for multiple years, it can get around the salary cap in a big way very quickly. But otherwise, it's all about replacing and replenishing when these teams sell off some of their players. MLS is very much still a selling league. So you you buy players, that's reasons why they have a young designated player rule, a U22 initiative rule. It incentivizes teams to sign these younger players. Teams that do it successfully like a Seattle, like a Philadelphia, and FC Dallas, they'll bring in these kinds of players, develop them for a year or two, sell them on for a big profit, and then they're able to replenish them. They're able to sign different players or develop their academy. And so if you look throughout the league and you want to know who you can look to for consistency, you look to successful academies, you look at successful replenishment of some of these international players that you're bringing in for these high dollars at times, but also who's leveraging their roster slots the best. And those are things that I think St. Louis City is still getting up to speed with. And they're starting to do it better and better as far as bringing in players on free transfers, bringing in players for modest transfer fees, but especially signing players for long-term contracts. The number of players St. Louis has locked in till 26 and 27 is large. And so they're building for this sustained period of time. And we're seeing that other teams like Seattle, even Kansas City, FC Dallas, those are some of the teams that are consistent and you can project year after year.
1: Oh, ben has got some thoughts on on Lutz's strategy, roster building. We talked to Ben about that in the eight o'clock hour. Um, we've got Matt Baker and Phil Grooms in studio, of course, host of the Flyover Footy podcast. And in their most recent season preview, they broke the season up into like quadrants and and. and different portions i want to they're going to kind of break down how they did that last week of course you can hear that in its entirety if you download the show or uh hopefully you heard it here on the big 550 ktrs we're going to talk about that to round out this hour of our program 2024 mls season preview it's on the big
2: 550 introduce the new players to you. We're going to hope to surprise you. Then you'll be like, wow, these guys have been really doing something special in preseason.
1: Let's get back to the St. Louis City SC MLS season preview on the Big 550 KTRS. Brought to you by
3: Royal Banks of Missouri.
1: Brandon see with Matt Baker and Phil Groves from the Flyover Footy Podcast. Heard right here on the Big 550 KTRS and download it wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, several... Episodes throughout. We're going to get to that uh, the portion of the year, guys, where you've got the Fallout podcast. You, a week like this, where we've got multiple matches, I think you've already. Do, do you have a? This, this is a multiple week, or multiple podcast week, is it not, man?
2: It's starting it. Yeah, we're we're doing uh, one this week, and then we have our Fallout debut on Sunday that Santi and I will have. And one thing new we're trying this year on Flyover is some interviews. So this week, actually, we just rolled out an interview with the RSL show out in. Salt Lake City to help preview a nice short 20 minute interview I had with them that covers Salt uh Ralph Salt Lake for some of their TV stations out there. So that was a fun thing we're looking to add a little cool. bit into this year.
1: Looking forward to that. And of course, I guess this is the de facto second uh, podcast of uh, of the week then, <laughs> That's right, basically. As uh, <laughs> as we have you guys in. Now, last week you guys deep dive into this MLS season. We talked a little bit about it looking ahead last week, Matt, but kind of give us an idea how did you guys break down the season uh, in terms of trying to measure out certain runs of time and, and where games land, Where, where did you guys finish with that?
2: Yeah, we took our cue from the team actually multiple times last year, Bradley Carnell in some interviews alluded to these blocks of games that they reference internally for success metrics for their team. They, they break the season down into what he said at times were six game blocks. So we did the same. We ended up with about six different six or seven game blocks, and it looked to the first six games that it started and ends with Real Salt Lake. We played them twice. We talked about the number of home and away games in that. We talked about the fact that it's congested with Champions Cup. The second block begins what we think is going to be the U.S. Open Cup block, along with some potential Champions Cup, if we're still in it. And then the third one has congested in the month of May into June, talking about Midweek matches are introduced, a final block before Champions – or before Leagues Cup, rather, that looks to more midweek matches because of that congested schedule. And then two blocks on the other side of Leagues Cup that reference the FIFA International windows before Decision Day and also how many, again, home and away games we have, as well as just the quality of opponents in all of these blocks. And so we were able to give green, yellow, or red lights based on uh, average number of points that we think we're going to take away from those blocks – and spoiler for anybody who hasn't listened, we have more green lights than we have yellow or red.
0: <laughs> That's great, and yeah, I love that you did that. Just like copying off what the what the team does, Bradley Carnell mentions it all the time. So um, Matt, Matt is so good at breaking down the data and, and giving it to us in, in easy consumable bites.
1: And I, uh, you know, I know when I asked, I asked Bradley last week or the week before. Um, you know, trying to compare and contrast this year to last. They're definitely done talking about last year, and rightfully so. Now we're we're underway with, um, with year two, and I'm ultimately a little curious because this is a simplistic way to look at it, but you lose your top two players in Klaus and Leuven last year for how many combined games, and you lose them in the middle of the year, And you get them both back in the final third of the season. Neither looked like their old selves before they got hurt. Maybe Klaus was a little more effective than Leuven, but they were both definitely a notch or two below where they were before injury. So, a big question for me do they return? Do they each return to the level they played at in the first couple of months? last year combined and if they do and if they're healthy and we assume the depth guys is better more quality depth than it was a season ago where's the uh is the sky the limit for this team Sky, I wouldn't say the sky is the
0: limit. Um, I will say that it is a lot more depth. I think Matt highlighting Durkin's quality in this game showed that I think there's going to be, there are going to be more options if Leuven goes down. And um, I do think the team was able to show how much they were able to to scrap games together, even with a very rotated lineup. So I do think the system, it works really well. Even if you don't have your top players, this system in particular, in my opinion, I, I think of it a lot as almost like the spread offense of soccer because it highlights athleticism. It makes it easy on players to be able to be uh, successful in the final third through your athleticism rather than just pure, you know, quality and talent. Now, we need those moments of, of bliss from people like Klaus and Leuven. And so that is a worry. But, you know with the style that we play i do think it is more plausible um that to be fine even without them than your average mls team who many just right out rely on their star players reynoso just went down from minnesota united and i'm very worried for the early part of their season uh casey you know didn't have a lot of players at the beginning of their season last year looked pretty bad right and the other thing just to keep in mind is um, there's still room in the roster for a really high-quality player. We have a DP slot open, lots of other slots open, that, and there's money available in the cap to bring in someone very high-quality if something happens. Not that that's a reason to do that. Um, I've probably mentioned a lot of things and stolen from Matt, but I don't know what you think, Matt.
2: No, I think that the question for Klaus is going to be Sam and Denner and, and how those two can – Navigate their partnership, because at the end of the season last year, that was a partnership relied on a lot. And Sam Adenderon found a lot of success. Klaus was a little more hit or miss. And so making sure that he has that space to work with centrally to play, make, find spots where he can get in between the defense while Sam is holding that line. Their partnership is going to be key and is going to impact Klaus immensely to start the year. We didn't see anybody come and attempt to take over in that striker position until Klaus was down. It was his to go with at the beginning of the season. And I don't think, I would argue he didn't consistently get back to that level that he was at at the beginning of the season late last year. Leuven, I think, Leuven, I'm a lot more bullish on. Because Leuven had the experience of playing himself out of his ideal position last year. He'll tell you time and time again... He loves the number six, that defensive midfielder position, gives him freedom, flexibility to see the field, move with the ball as he wants. But he can play all over. At times last year, he did mention that he was playing himself at a different uh, version of what Bradley Carnell wanted him to. They weren't always on the same page because he he was playing out wide left in a diamond, for instance. So Leuven being more clear in what his responsibilities are and having no injury concerns is going to be huge. If we had to pick one or the other, I would definitely go Edu Leuven, and I'm very bullish on Leuven this year.
0: I will say that Klaus looks great, and I do think yes. he's at like 100% yeah. you know, or better. And so no right concerns. now, yeah, right now he's looking
1: great. We'll see how the, the season plays out. Matt Baker, Phil Groom, Slavra Footy Podcast, heard each and every week here on the Big 550 KTRS. Ben Fred jumps in the conversation when we come back after the top of the hour news or MLS 2024 season preview in the Big 550. One hour in the books. We continue tonight to preview this 2024 MLS season. Just uh, really uh, the tip of the iceberg of our soccer coverage. Of course, we're back Friday, St. Louis Soccer Weekly. We uh, wrap up the game from the night before our soccer wrap-up on Sundays, Soccer in the Lou, Tuesdays, Flyover Footy Podcast Match Day here on the Big 550 KTRS. And uh, he's uh he's an OG in the soccer coverage streets here in St. Louis Ben Fredrickson who of course uh was one of the first to break the story of uh, of City's arrival several years ago Ben and and now here we are we were both there last night down to the press box uh at, at City Park and to see now season 2 kicking off it it is kind of surreal to think how far we've now come in this journey, and now we're set to to begin another one in season two. It's pretty pretty incredible.
3: It got here fast. It felt like last season was just ending, um, but that's good. and And I think clearly we saw we were all there last night. Um, hey, Matt, good to be good to be with you, and, and great work as always. And uh, really glad to have you as part of the team here. Um, I I think the energy it's like it didn't skip a beat. Um, it's just like it felt like last season continued, um, except for the postseason spinout. Um, and I thought that's kind of why last night felt really important. Um, look, it's one game. It doesn't count as the MLS opener. It's a tournament that you never know if these teams value these things or not. I think this team really does value this tournament. But I think most importantly, just really flushing whatever was left from kind of the the one bad taste last season left was at the end, right? And we you wondered, okay, are they going to, is there going to be a hangover? or also is there just gonna not be as much magic in season two? And we'll see, but there certainly was some magic there in their first look of season two, um, to have you know the the crowd as energetic as it was to have the way in which they won with yet another brand new face coming up with the goal that won the game in the final minutes. I mean, that was kind of what we saw last season where we kind of looked around and was like, we were often like, are you kidding me? Like, get, people couldn't write this any better. If you turn this in, in Hollywood, you get laughed for being a uh, cliche. And, and and there's maybe still a little bit of that magic left with this group.
1: And they just, they constantly deliver. And we we didn't mention really his name hardly at all in hour one, that being Jose Kojima, Matt, who scores the game winner. Last night in just electric fashion, there was nothing... I mean maybe in terms of right place right time you can argue but that was such an individual goal at least an individual effort there for Kajima to break away from from multiple defenders and and to to get free get a shot off it was uh it, it it's not like the ball found him he really delivered and was able to make an individual move to score that goal, which highlights, I'm sure in many ways, the skill set that Lutz and Bradley loved about this guy and loved enough for them to trade up into the first round to get him. The fact that he's paying off dividends so quick is really remarkable, especially since last year's draft pick did not.
2: Yeah, Jose Kojima— showed last night in a flash exactly what we had hoped to see all preseason and there was a there's a lot of similarities between Jose Kajima and Miguel Perez from last year in their goal scoring game right you mentioned Jose Kojima put himself in the right place at the right time that's exactly how Miguel Perez scored his goal right. and i would argue that last night at city park i don't know if you and ben i don't know if you felt the same way but that the sound when Kajima scored his goal rivals <laughs> what i remember from Perez last year
3: yeah, it was kind of that magic moment. And credit to the fans for knowing, right? I mean, that's such an informed thing to, to happen organically. They're not told, hey, look who just scored. Um, no, they know and, and they understood what was happening. And um, I think when you – and you guys were at a lot of the, the practices and a lot of the preseason stuff, and you really heard high praise for him. And um, they talked about this guy's going to make an impact. And, you know, he, he wasn't out there for – uh, kind of hey go get your debut they were trying to find a way to win the game and they thought that he provided um, a solid play in that setting I don't think they expected what they got but it's about earning the opportunity to get that chance and then taking advantage of it when it comes your way and man there's something about this team um, you see it in good teams and we've we've seen it in other sports here in St. Louis where everybody on the team can play a role and then you can have a different star every night. And I think this team really embodies that approach and to start game one um, with that reminder, I I think can really, can really bode well for the rest of the season. I mean, look at what happened last season for Tim Parker. Um, Does Tim Parker have the season he had last year? If he doesn't score the first goal ever scored by a city SC team in Austin, Um, he goes on to, you know, quadruple his, career goal total. And then, of course, scores to start season two. And look, maybe that's the maybe that's the, you know, the columnist in me trying to look for the narrative of the story of everything. But I don't know if Tim Parker has as good of a season last year if he doesn't have that as good of a game one. And and maybe we maybe a year from now, we're saying the same thing about Jose.
2: Well, a guy like Jose Kajima writes his own narrative to an extent, doesn't he, Ben? Because This is a first-round Super Draft pick that we sought out. We traded $75,000 in GAM to have the opportunity to select him, bring him in, knowing he's going to take up an international slot, which is highly valuable in MLS, and then giving him every opportunity to learn the system, be a student of the game. I don't know if you remember the story from the Super Draft where he brought with him a scouting report of every club yeah. that was looking to pick him. And so showing that he's a student of the game, that was why I think he scored that goal last night, not just right place, right time, but his ability to turn around to realize where that ball was, taking a deflection off an attempted pass to Sam Adeniran, finding the ball and turning straight for goal open space. That kind of a play is emblematic of what I think Kojima can bring to this team and why I'm so enamored with how St. Louis has fallen in love with this guy already appreciating all of the work that St. Louis did to bring him the hype that and the reason why there's hype behind him. There's so much that he has to offer. The fact that he's under club control till 2027, we have all the time in the world to fall in love with him.
1: W- words I've heard to describe him already, humble, professional, and probably wise beyond his years, right? And and I heard and just to kind of underscore the Soccer coverage we've had tonight. Going back to Martin's show here a couple of hours ago, I was talking to Bill McDermott, and Bill relayed a story from now technical director on City, uh, John Hackworth, from earlier in the preseason, where uh, there there were times during their you know workouts or scrimmages or what have you, where you know he's getting word relayed to him the Kojima at times looks like the best player. On the field, I mean, this is a guy that's never played a professional minute until last night, and I, I think it was Tom Timmerman uh, either late last night or this morning, highlighting what his what his goals per minute would be right now in uh, in <laughs> yeah. MLS. That would be a it would be through the roof. But the fact that you know here's somebody that has already displayed some of the maturity of a guy that's played for quite some time and again super draft which isn't necessarily predictive of how guys are going to play once they get to the mls and for city to to identify him for Lutz and company to identify him long before the draft clearly trade up to get him uh and then here's somebody else that this club has unearthed that clearly other teams weren't as enamored by and they scoop him up and here he is making an immediate impression mere hours after he signs his first professional contract.
3: Well, I think it I think it gets to something that is a theme for this team and how it's built. Um a lot of teams can point to this guy's the best player available or this guy has a lot of talent. That's probably the easiest thing to do these guys are smart these teams scout they watch they know who the talented players are um are there can there be very many better teams right now than this one in st louis that says okay this guy is a better player than people think and he'll be an even better player than that playing the way we play um they're so knowledgeable and, and and dedicated to their style of play that they're not they're not only taking players that play a certain way they're 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 going and seeking players internationally domestically that fit within their ecosystem of how they want to play and then can use different strengths within it and and I think that they've proven I think they proved last season when they when they won the Western Conference with a bunch of guys that all could have been on MLS teams previously I mean all of those guys could have either could have been signed could have been could have been traded for, could have been added um, last season. And these guys, you know, we heard a lot about how this team was under talented. Clearly that was, that was uh, misinformation. Um, And now there's already kind of early signs of another kind of batch of new additions doing that. And I think Lutz and and Bradley feel really good about the guys they added this off season. Um, There was obviously a lot of legitimate concern about some of the players who weren't added or some of the guys who were loaned out or, or who who left um but i think they feel like this group that they brought in um, brought some toughness some steadiness brought some 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 upside that um it's nice to have one game in and be able to point to a direct example of that
1: there's no question about it it uh it showed itself last night and uh, the team is able to come away with a 2 to 1 win and uh position themselves now to to make maybe a uh, maybe make a deeper run in uh, in the Champions Cup than they did in any of the tournaments last year. Brendan Weesey, Ben Fredrickson, Matt Baker here with us. It's our second hour of our MLS 2024 preview and uh, you know Kojima showing what he can do in just a uh, in just a brief period of time and Matt, you talked about in the first hour just what you've seen from some of uh from some of the new players, some of the new faces and how they fit in with the team, uh, it, it, of, of that group, who's impressed you the most so far, be it, uh, be it Durkin. And we haven't seen much of, of, of Dury of, of Dury yet. Uh, and, and obviously he's going to, he's going to certainly show more Totland's a, a name. You, uh, talked about quite a bit on that back line as, uh, uh showing, uh, having a very impressive first showing last night.
2: And that's who it is for me. For me, it's Thomas Totland. If you look at the the new acquisitions and what their role is going to be, season long especially, Thomas Totland has to be one of the most exciting players. He was one of the top top players last night in number of touches, and so he was one of the players that we progressed the ball through meaningfully in his first appearance for City, and what he's asked to do on that right side is be a true modern fullback, two-way player. He's going to be in the attacking end just as much as he is on the defensive end, but when you have a fullback like that, one of the most important qualities is the ability to play 1v1 defense in space, and we saw him able to do that. Oftentimes, that was a deficiency last year where if you had a fullback push high, we were having large gaps in our back line, and Thomas the the cascade effect that he has on the ability to track back and, and his spatial awareness. It really informs how all of the other defenders and midfielders position themselves, and it really strengthens that entire quadrant, that entire half of the field. And I think Thomas Toll, Ta- we're going to see the same with Nicholas Dewar. I have no doubt that he's going to provide that on the left side. And so having that ability to go either side, last year at for large portions of the season— Last year, it was move the ball up the right side and have the left side defend or vice versa. It was never interchange the two for for extended periods of the game. Now we can do that. And so the ability for us to leverage both sides of our wings meaningfully in that regard, that's going to add a whole nother dimension to this team. And and Ben, you
1: alluded to it here. And I I know I think you stumbled into Lutz for a, a couple of seconds yesterday before the match. And... You know his, his blueprint, his game plan right now, and it's not necessarily going out and landing the star DP that could cost you uh, a significant amount of money. And not to say they still can't do that, something Phil alluded to last hour. Uh, maybe that's something you still do later on this season. Maybe injury would force your hand to go out and and land a, a more upper echelon player. But there's certainly a game plan here, Ben, and it, Lutz is laying, this, this club is laying the foundation of of younger players, international players, that are maybe diamonds in the rough, that maybe have an opportunity to uh, have a, a glow-up kind of year like Nico Joachini did last season. He immediately moves on. Who's the next to do that? From this group, uh, City's got plenty of candidates to be that next Nico, if you will. And uh, and I think Lutz is, you know, in, in season two of this plan, he continues to go out there and find those guys that maybe other clubs aren't as interested, at least right now, in going out and acquiring.
3: Yeah, I think that's kind of a combination of approaches. One is go get some young guys from some parts of the world that maybe city sc right now is a little more tuned into than others um would say i think that there are some other mls teams maybe targeting parts of the globe that they maybe weren't before um before city sc had some success there last season we'll see right like we'll know as these years progress if City SC started a trend um, of maybe opening up uh, MLS to a little bit more broader areas than you know, just kind of uh, South America or some of the more popular soccer hotspots. Maybe we'll see some more kind of influences. I also think too, it's it's pretty clear, like Tim Parker being an example of of maybe City SC has an eye for guys who've been in the league in in, in MLS who they can say, hey. 're you're, you're a solid player, but maybe there's a higher ceiling for you that other other systems or other teams can't unlock. I think Parker has been an example of that. We'll see if if you know the, this if, if Durkin can provide more than just kind of the, the projected steadiness that that they hope to to get from him um, you know maybe maybe certain things they can unlock. We see that a ton of times in baseball where a guy's been an okay player for different teams he gets on the right team and all of a sudden, he develops a new pitch or the system, the way they play, unlock something that people go, where was this guy before? So they're kind of working it on, on different angles. And, and I do think um, there's two ways to look at the, hey, they're not going to go out and throw the bank at one specific kind of star player who's maybe lost his legs a little bit. One is that's smart because the way they play, you really can't carry that guy. Um, and it would probably be, be bad for your system to have somebody out there who wasn't able to play the way they want to play and two um it can kind of offset the chemistry of the group one thing and, and call it corny or whatever but these guys kind of have bought in on this idea that that they're all part of it and if you put a you know a super overpaid player who maybe has the the, the, the paycheck but doesn't have the performance maybe it is a little bit of a risk um I just know that it seems like everything they've done has been largely questioned at times by kind of the, the establishment and it's worked more than it hasn't. Um, and you guys remember what the kind of the concerns were, were, or the eyebrows that were raised when, when Berkey was the highest paid goalie in, in the league, it was yeah. kind of like, well, that that's not done. Who does that? And that's, is that a wise use of money? Well, it looks like a pretty good use of money to me. I think I saw Berkey there next to Messi in that global Apple uh, MLS package ad, and I think he was. I think he was the goaltender of the year last year. I, I think I read that somewhere. Um, maybe, maybe at some point, uh, the it kind of is a matter of hey, maybe these guys kind of know what they're doing a little bit. I,
1: I want to. You, know, you mentioned Tim Parker. We got to take a break. Want to continue the conversation on him because, the, to me, I, I think his. Impact, Right. I mean, it, it's it's different from some of the international guys that they're getting. Because I feel like they've got the touch to find MLS veterans or MLS up and comers to go along with some of these internationals um, like a uh, like a Nuke V. Thorsen, who you can project that can maybe help you and uh, not the next day. But within the next six to eight months, next maybe year, and that's where you kind of project Thoris in here. Got some time last year, but really maybe ready to help this team right now. We'll talk about that next. It's our 2024 MLS season preview. Brendan Weesey, Ben Fredrickson, Matt Baker with you here on your home for soccer in St. Louis, the Big 550 KTRS. awesome. Spectacular. Awesome.
3: The St. Louis City SC MLS season preview returns.
2: But for us and every player in that locker room, every staff member, we want to make the playoffs.
3: Brought to you by Royal Banks of
1: Missouri. Only on the Big 550 KTRS. It's our St. Louis City SC season preview. Brendan Wiese, Matt Baker, Ben Fredrickson with us this hour. We saw last night's Season debut, it happened in the Champions Cup, a 2-1 win over Houston. Those two teams will play again next week. Uh, MLS season opens on Saturday against Real Salt Lake. So, Matt, the breakdown, so it's a two-game series. They'll play next week in
2: Houston. A win or a draw would advance St. Louis through, right? Depending. A one nothing loss, I think, would give it to Houston. So, the tiebreaker, the first tiebreaker is away goals. Right. So by Houston having one goal at City Park, it, it changes the dynamics slightly. But if St. Louis wins or if we uh were to score two goals, we would move on. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh so a
1: zero zero draw would keep them zero zero draw would do it as well. Yeah. Okay. Aggregate goals first and then away goals. Gotcha. Well, they're certainly well-positioned to do it, and a big reason why Tim Parker scores, and again, the synergy here of what he's been able to do since arriving, and Ben, you mentioned him at the at the end of last segment, and something else this team has been able to do, and, and Ben, you talk about a coach being able to get the most out of their players. Tim Parker here is a great example of someone that, was well-known in MLS circles, Matt, as you mentioned, off the air. And you know, here's a guy that's the former captain down there in in Houston. But uh, Lutzen, his staff made it a point that Tim Parker was going to be a major catalyst to this team and their success. And he's done it, in a way, as the assistant captain. He does it with the production on the field, having his best season as a pro but some of the other intangibles that I think are at work here, and that goes towards uh, the leadership portion of his production. There are things that we just can't calculate through stats that I feel like Tim Parker, if you had one of those leaderboards, he'd be up there in like a helmet sticker or something to use football parlance. He does, I think, the little things on and off the field. That are really valuable, and it's—I—I uh, I don't think it can be understated that the uh, the veterans that come in and and play on this uh, that have played on this team. I think Parker uh, illustrates it perfectly what of what they're capable of, of doing.
3: I don't think he had a beer named after him when he was uh, playing for uh, <laughs> Houston or or the Red Bulls, but uh, he's had—I mean, he was a good player before he got here one of the things he wasn't, was a, was a goal scoring threat. He had never had more than a single goal in any of his MLS seasons. Um, and he'd played for a while. I mean, he had played eight seasons, um, in the league before arriving in St. Louis, you know, was, was known to be a defender. And, And now all of a sudden, you know, he scores four goals last year. Um, this won't count toward his MLS total last last night, but throw, throw five in there. And, um, it's it's pretty remarkable, and he's the the set pieces that they're able to incorporate him on are just been great great produ- production um, parts of their game, and he's got a real a real good feel for that, um, and and I think that's that's been that's been a, a key for him, um, but also I just think his confidence of of knowing he's a leader of this team, um, the the style I think is something he's familiar with, um, you know he had experience. With the Red Bulls, he was drawn to this style of play and he takes a lot of pride in kind of being uh, being that front line in front of in front of Berkey and, and you can watch during the games um, and it didn't skip a beat last night from last season of what they demand from their teammates and their leaders in the way that they can get on guys and they can be hard on their teammates because they're hard on themselves. And when you have your your captains who lead like that, then I think it makes it pretty easy for everybody to uh to get in line he did confirm so last year he scored you know the first goal of the, the uh, entire team's existence and only followed it up with announcing that he and his wife were expecting the uh, arrival of their their first baby um we did confirm last night in the uh, mixing zone that, uh, that there was no news to announce on the parker uh, on the parker baby front although he did have his uh <laughs> right his baby with baby it, was there, there no, there's no new baby coming at least as of now. so I know people might have been wondering. it's been it, it, talking about
1: coming full circle, right from from scoring that first goal, announcing the pregnancy to scoring the first goal of this season and then having that baby with him in the uh, it, it, as you said been the mixing zone is uh, as CONCACAF uh, brings us in the media an opportunity to uh, to talk to some of those players. it's uh, it, it's really been a, a remarkable run. For Tim Parker so far, uh, in a uh, in a St. Louis City uniform, and it uh, it brings to the forefront where you know you know for this particular group and and having the number of, of veterans that are able to contribute, having the number of young players that are able to contribute to this team. Again, the next step is having success in the playoffs, and Tim Parker is one of those guys. Last year, in what was. Uh, kind of a bummer season-ending press conference that I think hit all of these guys hard. And it was sort of... And now that we've had the, uh, the benefit of three or four months that have passed since, I think for everyone now, really easy to look back how memorable and enjoyable last season was. But in that moment, it's sort of like, I think, put a bit of a tarnish on what happened in 2023. Again, right in that very minute, it's like, wow, how could all of all of these great moments come to an end so quickly with two playoff losses? And I, I think for Tim Parker and guys like Roman Berkey, the, the, the leaders on this team is like, okay, how do we let this be something that helps us never experience something like this again? That doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out there and win an MLS Cup next season, Matt. But I do think there was a, a sense of – we're better than this we can't let this define us again and there's probably going to be some folks that doubt us all over again because of it how do we move on and i and yesterday's a great first step and the fact that you do it in a tournament setting i i i think matters but we talked about the very start of tonight's show concerns for 2024 and i think for me it all kind of goes back to how many lessons did they take away from that early playoff exit?
2: Yeah, and part of being a leader in that moment where you get bounced so unceremoniously is you know that the core of your team is coming back. you're on you understand the contracts. You understand who you're playing with, the, the new guys, the guys who are new to MLs. and it's it's determining how you want to leave those players going into the offseason. So you know players talk in the locker room. You know they, They have their team meetings and it's knowing what they need to take away. And it seems pretty clear going into this preseason that the message was well received. These players understood whether the moment was too big for them or whether they were just outplayed in multiple games consecutively and they need to have a new facet to their game. Everything seems to have sunken in, in this preseason and to start the season off with not quite a win or go home, but a cup competition that if you lose this first game at home, it's going to be incredibly hard to remain in this international, intercontinental tournament. And for St. Louis to come out so even keeled at first, because the first half was very, let's feel each other out. But they did what they needed to do to remain in the game, to get a feel for their opponent. And then they turned it on in the second half, which we didn't always see St. Louis City do last year. Bradley Carnell makes a point of wanting to get off on the, on the gas pedal right from the beginning and hit them right right from the get-go. Last night, that wasn't it. It was the, quite the opposite where it took until 50, 55 minutes for a serious offensive outburst to begin. And that's the kind of city that we need we should be seeing from a, a team led by Tim Parker and Roman Berkey and Klaus up front to say we're not just this one-dimensional St. Louis City team who we can start off strong and we might get punched in the nose halfway through and we're not able to find our way back. We can have this other facet. We can have this other dimension to our team because we're a different, we're a growing team compared to last year.
3: Matt, I think that's a really good point. Um, a lot of times last season, especially at home, it's like if it didn't follow that early goal and then avalanche script, right? Mm-hmm. What was the what was the the game plan going to be? And then and then it wasn't always a guarantee you took that script on the road. The, you're not going to win the same way every time, right? and you're not going to be able to win the same way every time in the playoffs. You've got to find different ways to win and and I think last night they did do that after kind of that that almost boxing match, trading some jabs back and forth and then they did kind of get to their their intensity um, and then and then and then and then had the you know the equalizer and then had to find another way to scramble to go win it. So I think that has to build confidence. I'll say this, I feel better about their mentality. Um, about what happened last season after talking to them at this year's media day than I did hearing their comments after the end of last season in real time. I felt like when they got knocked out of the playoffs that there was like almost too much spin of we got to look at this year as a whole, accomplished great things. All of these things are true. Um, they did. I mean, a historically great season, one of the best of an expansion team in North American sports history, not just MLS, but I didn't know. I didn't always feel like there was like a moment where they just sit flat out said that, that can't happen. Like that was a sour into a remarkable season and maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but it just felt like there was a little bit of a fast forward past the bad to reflect on the good. I don't, I did not get that talking to these guys um before this season started uh roman Burkeev said flat out you don't you don't win any hardware for winning the western conference um you'd, you'd gladly trade a postseason run for the for the regular season success And and i would actually argue in year one maybe it's better to have the regular season success because i think that showed it was more legitimate but moving forward this is about what you do when it matters most. And these guys are saying that, and 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 Parker's saying that. And they're talking amongst themselves about, hey, we have to have a different level when the playoffs come. And it doesn't mean you don't try hard now, but it means you got to figure out how to be at your best when it matters most. And I do think the way last year ended will remind them of that and inform them of how to get there as this season progresses. It's the one box they didn't check. And they've spent a lot of time this offseason thinking about how do they how do they get how do they do it better next time it comes around.
1: I'm excited that I think a lot of these guys are gonna follow the Tim Parker blueprint because he was the one guy Ben at that closing press conference last year that said, Nah, this this ain't gonna cut it. This is this is not we're not celebrating the regular season. We need guys to be better in this spot. He was the one guy to kinda of say that and there were others, I don't want to single anybody out, but you had a feeling that you're What you just said—it was—we're eh, we're celebrating all this other stuff, and here's the reasons why. Bad, you know, schedule stunk. Yeah. We were there. The excuses did start to fly, really, from the for the first time from that group. Parker was one of the guys, and then Berkey might have as well. But I, I vividly remember Parker saying, "This is, you know, this is not the way it it it's going to be. We're going to be better. We got to be better. Got to be better in the playoffs." And I feel like. He is that perfect role model for everyone else that is younger. And, and, and to Lutz's credit, again, it was it's not just getting these young internationals. He got young guys that have M- MLS experience like a Chris Durkin. Yep. Uh, they're going to build up that experience. And as Matt alluded to, there are a lot of new pieces, but a lot of the same cast of characters. And they are a year more experienced and a year more determined and if you, you weren't going to win the MLS Cup year one it certainly could have happened maybe things fall their way um, I'm almost I'm really interested to see how this season flows and see how this team does it um, respond to adversity and this is where okay if they win 12 in a row to start that's cool that'll be fun but I do want to see how they respond if there is early adversity, because I don't think there was enough early adversity last year for this group.
3: Yeah, I think that's um, and I think that's kind of why these in-season tournaments have a little heavier feel um, this year, because you're kind of looking for how they are up for that challenge. Um, I think there's there's a little bit uh, more. They, they responded to adversity last year in terms of injuries big time. Um, but in terms of, you know, how did they, they really didn't lose enough
2: to right. have any sort
3: of like losing
1: yes. related adversity until it got
3: too late. Right. And, and I've, I've talked to, I don't, they have not trotted this out as an excuse, but, and may, I just, I think it's more of an explanation. They didn't have a lot of guys who had experienced an MLS post season before mm-hmm. last year. And I do yep. think it kind of, it kind of smacked them upside the head a little bit. And, you know, Parker telling everybody, hey, this is what it's like. It's not the same as going through it. Um, it reminds me a lot of, you know, the Cardinals have this. It's This story has been told a million times, but every year the Cardinals go around to their minor league systems and they tell the guys in the minors, you know, who have just finished their minor league season and the MLB postseason is just about to begin and their season, their playoffs are ending. And they ask these guys, how do you feel? And they say, we're tired. Our bodies are worn out. We're exhausted. And they say, yeah, of course you are. But now imagine the most important part of your season is starting right now. Because in the major leagues, it is. And and I'm not saying at all that these guys were not playing at high levels before they joined this team last year. But it's about you you don't know how to run your best mile in the final mile of the marathon until you've ran one before. And I think now it's about this group, okay, realizing that's what it feels like. You're exhausted, you're worn out, but you got to be at your best. Because if you're not a team like Sporting, which you kicked around all regular season, can be a better team than you in that moment, I think their eyes have been really open to that.
2: I think, Ben, couldn't you make the argument that not just the core that St. Louis City is bringing back, but the way that they ended last season is actually a positive for them in 2024, as down as they were, as down as fans were on the four-game losing streak to end the season, that big gut check and the fact that this season, unlike some other times in MLS, this season the playoff format is the same. The structure of the regular season is the same. And you're having guys now with an extra year of MLS experience. The way that they were unceremoniously bounced from last year is just that much more of a gut check and a learning opportunity for what they truly need to do to be prepared for this year.
3: Yeah. It's the next, it's the next stage, right? It's uh, it's realizing that when it was time to sprint and you didn't have enough gas in the tank, and that's a humbling thing for a team that won a lot and had a lot to be proud about last year. And to me, it's the kind of thing that if, if we've learned a lot about this team, it's probably not the kind of thing they're going to allow to happen again. Um, I don't think you can sit here today and say, they're going to go on and win and win it all. I mean, that, that would be, that would be silly to predict. I have predicted and do think, um, maybe you guys agree, maybe you don't, I, I would not be surprised at all if this team has a more um, more routine of sort, regular season, but has a better postseason. And, and I think in year two, if you make that trade, then that's a good trade to make.
2: Yeah, you're seeing MLS analysts nationwide. I think they did their MLS soccer predictions, and you saw 15 of 17 analysts now picking St. Louis City to make the playoffs. And so there's there's a consistency that they're seeing despite regression. And to your point, I don't think anybody's realistically expecting a repeat of the, f- the first place regular season. But there's not going to be a drop-off that people are expecting. And I think this first match kind of furthers that, not only because of the success, but the success without some key pieces that we expect to play big parts of this year. Guys, do have to take a break, a last
1: break of the program, our MLS 2024 season preview. Final thoughts when we return. Guys, we're really late, so real quick, Ben and Matt, storylines you're looking for in the first couple weeks. Matt, I'll start with you.
2: Fullback effectiveness. I think the new guys are going to need to show their their ability out on the wings, and I'm excited to see how they can contribute to the attack.
3: Ben? Klaus, he was so close. Can he get in his groove and be the elite scorer we know he can be and lead MLS?
1: And I'll continue to say that a run, potential run through the Champions Cup. It's going to be exciting. Fellas, we look forward to it. Matt, we'll look forward to flyover this weekend. Ben, I'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll do some winners and losers. That's our show for tonight here, St. Louis Soccer Weekly. Much more talk coming your way on Friday here in the Big 550.